What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada Sports Betting Podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, use somebody. The 49ers toy with the NFL insiders, but we, the sports bettors, sniffed out a wrap. The NFL draft's first round does not disappoint as we cash big on Trey Lance, Kyle Pitts, and my personal favorite, J.C. Horn. I'll go through the first round recapping how teams that couldn't keep a secret were forced to shake things up for better, and how defining positions decided a few bets at the end of the night. Thankfully. Plus, let's do that hockey. Last night, tonight, and the weekend, it's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. We're going to get to the podcast here in a second. But first, it's Kings of Leon. No, we're not doing that. Uh, all right, let's get right to it. The NFL draft last night, again, more fun than we really should be allowed to have when it comes to stupid things, uh, like just selecting players from college to go play in the NFL, where, you know, not all of them are even going to be that great. Some of them might even be really bad. But, you know, we got to celebrate sometimes, and... Last night was a night to celebrate. We did some good work when it comes to the NFL draft preview from last week and the stuff that we've been talking about over the course of the last week. Uh, But first, since we last spoke yesterday, things got a little crazy, right? Uh, First, we had, barely after I hit publish on the old podcast, uh, Trey Lance information comes in. And we talk about this as an information Uh, marketplace right these are information wagers and so you know the reason that we do the podcast you know the main preview podcast and sort of set the table a full week ago instead of just sort of showing up day of hey the drafts tonight like who are we going to bet on and instead of going a month you know before the draft and trying to pick and choose and figure out where people are going it's because we have to find that sweet spot where we're able to grab some value we're able to you know find uh, some bets that are going to uh, increase in value, right? That, they're, that the prices are going to change. Of course, we have a bunch of examples of that that ended up coming through yesterday. And then you give yourself a week to really sort of deep dive into it. And over the course of that week, sometimes it feels like you're going to lose a bet because of all of the stuff that we kind of talked about needing to avoid, right? And it's, again, why we do it a week beforehand, because... The lesson is you can't just listen to the rumors, right? Mac Jones was a lock to go number three. And, you know, we were sort of trying to figure out, okay, well, why, you know, what's the reason to lie if you're San Francisco? And I think we found kind of a couple of different reasons, right? Who does Atlanta want? And, well, you know, part of this is we'll never know whether Atlanta was going to draft Trey Lance or, you know, if there was a quarterback that they specifically, if he was the quarterback that they specifically would have, um, you know, sort of turned away from Kyle Pitts for, you know, we don't know. Uh, I imagine San Francisco knows, or at least was leaving open the possibility of something like that kind of happening. And, and, you know, whether it's your own fantasy draft, which we referenced last week as well, like you don't come in and go, hey, uh, we're going to take this guy, the guy that we want, you take the, you literally tell people you're going to take the last person that you're going to take and maybe sucker somebody into something along those lines. And then you have this sort of street cred, if you will, this football cred that Shanahan has. If you're leaking that they like Mac Jones, you can trick a team into really, really liking Mac Jones. And again, this isn't about trashing Mac Jones. And that's the unfortunate part in all this, because it's just a kid won a national championship at Alabama, like, he's not some, you know, piece of garbage or whatever, but you'd think that's what he was just because of what happened leading up to the draft. And so the information comes out, and Trey Lance, uh, you know, looks to be the selection, and now it's mad dash to the sports book, or it should be, right? And again, whether it's, you know, different pieces of news happening for actual games, injuries, all of that kind of stuff during the season, you know, one of the things we try to, you know, provide guidance with or, or just sort of teach is instinct or you know initial reaction and instead of sort of sitting around you go okay well let's get to the sports book here and 
make some moves on this. And maybe your sports book was you know, all over it and they've changed the odds and everything, whatever. But if you have three, four, five sports books, again, we talk about outs, right? Having different options. There were sports books, and I can only speak for Canada, but Certainly, I imagine, you know, in your various jurisdictions in the United States, there were sports books here that one of them literally never took, made any changes when it came to the number three pick. They just kept Mac Jones up there at minus 200 the entire time. And Trey Lance was just sitting there at plus 150. Meanwhile, you had bet 365. They at one point took down the who to go in, you know, who to go number three market, but they left up Trey Lance. Uh, under six and a half at minus 135. So again, we had one book that was plus 150 for him to go number three all afternoon. We had another book that for a long time was at minus 135 under six and a half. So it just goes to show, right? Some of these books are just not on top of it. Other books, immediate change, making Trey Lance a minus 175, minus 200 favorite to go number three. And so again, there's opportunities there. We're talking low limits. So again, nobody's retiring off of this necessarily, but you can sit there and just sort of hammer away. And the other thing is, obviously, there's the possibility of, you know, it not necessarily being good information. Now, the closer you get to the draft, the better the information is going to be. And again, that's kind of the point when we talk about wanting to do the draft preview you know, a week or a little bit less than a week away from the actual draft. Because again, if we're doing it four weeks before and we're getting all this information and blah, 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 there's a better chance that that information that's moving lines three, four weeks ahead of the draft is just complete BS versus it happening day of, right? And we have that example from way back, way back. But back when Baker Mayfield went first overall, right? I'll never forget like waking up that morning and then just seeing the line like move and move and move and move and move. And it's just like, wow, like things got crazier because we never thought that Baker Mayfield was going to go number one. And so that's sort of a big, you know, obviously it's a big key that if things start moving, uh, it's it's a little bit more legitimate than the group think that we sort of get into where everybody just sort of, sort of agrees on something over and over and over again. So we had that Trey Lance information, and then all of a sudden, arguably the biggest piece of news comes maybe for who knows how long, uh, you know, going back into NFL history, three, four years, who knows. Uh, but Aaron Rodgers apparently wanting out in Green Bay. And so you go, okay, well, what's our information? You know, what's that information good for when it comes to betting, right? That's what this show is. That's what our mindset is as sports bettors. We go, okay, what do we, what moves do we make? And of course, the one thing that happens is the line changes, the price changes for the Denver Broncos to win the Super Bowl, to win the AFC, and to win the AFC West. Now, the interesting thing here is, you know, Aaron Rodgers could go to a lot of places and they would become the prohibitive favorite to win that division. But going to the Denver Broncos still might just make them the third best team in that division. And as much as Aaron Rodgers is awesome, right, there are still some holes there. It's not like the Packers win the division every year. There are still some... Um, you know, it's not perfect necessarily, right? And just because you have Aaron Rodgers doesn't mean uh, you're some automatic lock. And this is going to be interesting as this drops. And we've seen it drop from 15 to 1, then to 10 to 1, then to plus 450 currently at one spot that I'm looking at right now, where the Chargers are even plus 550. And, you know, there's a lot of unknown when it comes to the Chargers. And by the way, the Broncos still don't even have Aaron Rodgers yet. And then, of course, you go, okay, well, how far... You know, how far are the odds going to drop here for Kansas City? At what point do they become the most valuable in that group? They're sitting at minus 300 right now. Obviously, if Aaron Rodgers gets traded to the Broncos, you go, okay, um, that's going to, you know, add another rush, right, of people betting on the Broncos, which again has to affect the Kansas City price. And if it doesn't, that's some, you know, pretty good clue that there's some shady operations going here. Um, with that sports book. So um, from a betting standpoint, going into the draft, you know, it was sort of like, okay, well, is San Francisco going to take a quarterback? Because again, in theory, Green Bay, if they make a trade, they don't need a quarterback coming back because again, they have Jordan Love. Now again, they've had a year with him. He wasn't even necessarily the backup quarterback last year. He might not be good, right? Utah State guy, we don't really know all that much uh, about him. That was kind of the crazy part of them trading up last year to draft him because it's not like we're, you know, 
We're talking about a guy who was traded up for in the third spot here, the way Trey Lance is. It was sort of like a let's trade up, maybe hope Aaron Rodgers doesn't notice that we traded up into the first round to uh, to grab a quarterback. But again, it's not like this was a guy that people were absolutely clamoring for as a top five type pick. So he might suck in general. So again, who knows whether they would actually want a quarterback, but it's not necessarily a guarantee that they would want one in return for Aaron Rodgers. So we didn't really know, okay, well, does this change how San Francisco, for example, how they draft? Does it change how Denver drafts, right? And they're sitting there still with Drew Locke. They're sitting there with Teddy Bridgewater. And so it would be kind of insane for them to pick uh, a quarterback in the first round. Of course, they end up not doing that. So um, there wasn't really anything to do from a draft standpoint based off of the Aaron Rodgers news. Really interesting that that would get leaked or sort of announced or however you want to sort of put it. The day of the draft, like why wouldn't you do that a week before the draft? That would allow Green Bay to make a bunch of moves and give themselves a better chance to trade you, right? Like it doesn't really add up from that standpoint. Um, so a lot still to be left with that. But at this point, it's not like we should be running out to grab Denver futures at this point, given how little we know um, that's certain about the situation. Anyway, let's uh, let's talk about the draft. Let's do some padding uh, of ourselves on the back here, right? Last week's preview did outstandingly and everything sort of leading up to the draft did really well. And we'll start obviously with the number three pick. The big talk all week, all month, you know, about who San Francisco was going to take. Mac Jones, you know, the insiders, the insiders, right? And what do we talk about when it comes to the preview, when it comes to information that far away, right? It's all smoke screens, right? And San Francisco is so good at it. We talked about you know, what's their reasoning for it. Why would they send up the smoke screen, right? Is it to pull off a one trade spot back, see if anybody wants Mac Jones? Is it to devalue Trey Lance in order to do so? Like, think about it this way, right? Like, they could have, in theory, fallen back to six and still might have gotten Trey Lance if somebody wanted Mac Jones badly enough to trade up. Right. Or if they knew that Atlanta didn't want Trey Lance. Now, they couldn't end up doing that because, you know, I would imagine that maybe they thought Atlanta did want Trey Lance or maybe just nobody wanted to trade up for Justin Fields or for Mac Jones. And so uh, interesting little clip after two. Right. Talking uh, Trey Lance talking to Shanahan. And he said, you know, did you know? And of course, Trey Lance, you know, said like I didn't know, you know, on the broadcast, he said I didn't know until a couple of minutes before being announced. And he said, like, did you know, like, you know, I thought we gave you a vibe and, you know, poor Trey Lance is sitting there like, what am I reading vibes? I, like, I like, um, this is my entire future here. I mean, whose vibes am I supposed to be reading? But he's sort of just like, no, man, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know. And it was like Shanahan was talking to, you know, it's like if you had a surprise birthday party for your girlfriend and, you know, he's like, did you know, could you tell? Could you tell we wanted you? Could you tell we were having a surprise party? Um, and so, you know, again, they do an incredible job. And that's something that, you know, we know about them from last year when they drafted Javon Kinlaw, year, you know, previous year when they got San Francisco, excuse me, when they got Chicago to trade up to get Mitchell Trubisky. It's like the San Francisco 49ers are never drafting Mitch Trubisky. But if they make you think that they're drafting Mitch Trubisky, then they can take something from you. And so, you know, they tried that. They didn't necessarily get that done. But, you know, in the end, they got their guy, which they knew they would get uh, one way or another. But again, looking forward to the future. Again, I don't know that San Francisco is ever going to be in that position again, especially if Trey Lance is good. But now we know, know, as if we didn't already know, we know that they're really good at keeping a secret. Other teams, not so much. And I think as we kind of go through the draft here, we can see some of these teams that aren't very good at keeping secrets um, and it costing them in various spots here. So um, I talked a little bit, you know, I actually tweeted it out, like as much as I was interested in our bets, and of course, as they keep winning early on, um, they became a lot more interesting and I was more fired up about them. But I was really, I'm really interested to see sort of, you know, there was a divide out there, right? There was, uh, you know, pretty, you know, common or pretty popular uh, sports betting podcast that had two guys on of uh, one, one of which have been, has been on this show before, uh, Drew Dinsick. Um, and, you know, they're, you know, pretty, pretty heated debate about, you know, Mac Jones versus not Mac Jones, essentially. And uh, it was Michael Lombardi um, of, you know, sort of the NFL, multiple teams in the NFL, 
uh, you know, he's on VSIN right now, and he was sort of you know, Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac Jones, and it got really contentious. And um, it's just sort of funny, like the day after, it's like, you know, we're going to find all this stuff out. And these people who are so certain about everything and it doesn't it's not just him with regards to mac jones and on the other side it's not you know the other guys too whether they're certain about justin fields whether they're certain about trey lance the point of all of this is like guys there's just no certainty out there there's going to be a result right no different than like picking a hockey game or a football game and then after the fact being like i knew it i knew it i knew it there's no such thing as certainty here and so the thing that i get sort of offended by in sort of a weird way is just people's confidence in all of this right? It's the barroom argument that you're so positive of when, you know, in the barroom argument, you may be arguing something that's just never going to be proven, like who's better, blah, 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 or blah, blah. In this case, like there's actually going to be a result. And so it's just funny, like after the fact, like are people going to be sort of making up excuses after the fact on why, you know, different things didn't end up working out that way. So that was really interesting from sort of a sports betting media type uh, standpoint. Uh, number four pick, Kyle Pitts, our boy, you know, the Kyle Pitts report pays off, right? Whether it's the minus 125 or if you dove in looking at the different discrepancies throughout and it just kept going up and up and up. I even saw like a minus 600 at some point by the end. And of course, this just ends up turning into a thing where you go, I wish I had spent more on it. But, you know, again, anytime you win, you wish you'd spent more on it. Anytime you lose, you wish you would never bet it. But again, as long as we're betting the same amounts, you know, give or take, depending on your edge or your perceived edge, you're going to be just fine over a long period of time. Number five, Jamar Chase added the over five and a half on Jamar Chase. So again, this was, we were one spot away here and, and you know, fundamentally he, we added it cause he was over five and a half plus one fifty. Um, you know, was this sort of, you know, did we get suckered into this? Maybe that's the case because, you know, information, we knew that Cincinnati liked Jamar Chase the entire time. There's also, you know, a very real possibility that they would have taken a, you know, what seems to be, you know, a very good offensive lineman. I don't want to say sort of Hall of Fame, but sort of top level potential offensive lineman. You would think, again, rational front office decision making. You'd see, you'd think watching your, you know, franchise quarterback getting his leg eviscerated uh, in, you know, what the 12th game of the year, you'd think that would indicate that you might go for a top level offensive lineman who went two picks later. So not exactly your reach at that point, but again, they feel like Jamar Chase is the better option. Listen, he's outstanding. And this is never about sort of who's good, who's bad, who's going to be good, who's going to be bad. Cause again, honestly, humility here, folks, like we don't know. We just don't know. So Jamar Chase goes, to me, it was a 50-50 type thing, and we're getting plus 150. So again, no different than a hockey game that we have lined at going 50-50. You know, um, we were getting value there. So no problem adding that. Didn't even add it for a full unit necessarily. Um, you know, So they grabbed Chase. Then Miami, of course, you know, what did we talk about with Miami? Adding a playmaker. Had to be a playmaker for Tua. And the way that you, you could read the tea, we, tea leaves, excuse me, um, on who it was going to be, and Jalen Waddle sort of increasing his sort of uh, draft position, if you will, at nine and a half from eleven and a half. He was sitting there with Devonte Smith at eleven and a half for the longest time. We talked last week on the podcast that if you have this uh, market available to you, grab Jalen Waddle to go before Devontae Smith. So hopefully you're able to grab that. I never found that um, at any uh, of my four outs over here. So that was kind of disappointing, but at least somebody out there somewhere probably cashed on that. So that's cool. He goes number six. Um, Penny Sewell drops to number seven. So, you know, again, while we were hoping Cincinnati would take him just for the sake of um, allowing Joe Burrow to live, um, not surprised that, again, offensive linemen drop. And they're the safe pick and all of that sort of thing. But you can always kind of find a hole in an offensive lineman that's going to have them drop. So the overcashes on Panay Sewell, uh, whether it was five and a half or six and a half, um, he goes to Detroit. Again, not a surprise there either, right? Does Detroit, who, who is looking to eat people's kneecaps and, you know, Chris Spielman's making decisions and Dan Campbell's making decisions, you know, are they going to draft a wide receiver in their first draft? No, right? Felt like it was going to be a defensive player or an offensive lineman. They were thrilled. You could see they were like jumping and hugging to grab Panay Sewell. And then number eight, and right before, and I don't know what you guys were watching, I was watching the NFL uh, NFL Network draft co coverage versus ESPN, couldn't do the greeny, couldn't do the bug, like just, you know, hard pass on both of those guys, so went over to Rich Eisen and the gang over there at the NFL um, Network, and of course they have their co correspondent, 
out in Carolina, and he says, he's like, they really like J.C. Horn. And I'm like, that's music to my ears. That This is the spot, right? And when we're you know evaluating some of these picks, again, sim, you know, stay away from the mock drafts, but kind of do it on your own. We talked about the exercise of, you know, going through different teams and just kind of common sensing it and going, okay, like, what did they do? What did they need? And with Carolina, it's like they just traded for Sam Darnold. And I realized that, like, you know, there are quarterbacks still available and Sam Darnold might not be the answer. I don't even really like Sam Darnold. I wouldn't have traded for him. But the point is they traded for them, right? And that doesn't really matter what I would do. They traded for him. Their offense is pretty good from a skill position standpoint, right? Obviously, McCaffrey coming back. Uh, Moore uh, and some of the other guys, Samuel and all of those guys that that sort of you know were able to get yards and whatnot last year that they're going to be able to replace um, this coming season. And so, you know, by the way, like all they do is draft defense. Their coach is a defensive guy, like their head coach and Matt Rule is a defensive guy. So to me, it was just it's got to be defense, right? And they've got a uh, Jeremy Chin prime, you know, safety. Not that they were going to draft a safety in the top ten. They've got good defensive line. Uh, you know, uh, Burns, they've got uh, the defensive tackle that they drafted. I believe that was just last year. Um, you know, a couple of guys at linebacker. What they need is a corner, right? Like, it's just kind of a little too obvious at that point, right? And again, could have been very well been Patrick Sertain, right? They could have also done something dumb, right? That's obviously a possibility, but they don't. And, you know, they go to the the, the guy in Carolina and we're sitting there, and I think it was Rappaport, but you know, he's like, they, they like JC Horn. He would be the pick, except like, they also really like Justin, <laughs> Justin Fields. And I'm like, damn it. Like, oh my God. Like the one guy that they, that they really want, or they would take at quarterback is available to them. Like this is brutal, but they do take Horn. And of course that catch it cashes our first defensive player, uh, plus 650. And so between, again, you know, talked about it last week, right? The fade of Mac Jones, not thinking that he was going to go number three. So we had Fields at three. We had uh, Trey Lance at three. So we ended up cashing that bet. Uh, and then, you know, we get the pits back going. And now we've got a plus 650 in our back pocket here. Um, did a little hedging, you know, for basically one unit um, with Sertain once he went to minus 110 as the first defensive player. So again, end up netting about five plus units on that single bet. And so now we're just rolling right now. Okay. And we're loving life and we can really enjoy the draft. We get a couple of beverages going, having a blast. Uh, and then sort of one of the funnier moves or sort of kind of kicked off the real, a really entertaining portion of the draft. And when I say like, you know, different teams are good at keeping secrets. San Francisco being the team, the team that's good at keeping secrets. Team that isn't good at keeping secrets, the Dallas Cowboys. And we talked about it, right? Um, the number 10 and a half made a ton of sense given the fact that Dallas loved Patrick Sertain. And so he's his number sitting there at 10 and a half. And you go, how do we not take the under on this? How do we not take the under on this? It's juiced. Um, but again, we had enough sort of invested in Horn. But if you wanted to, as we talked about, if you wanted to hedge off of that, you could use the under on Patrick Sertain under 10 and a half, just hoping that Horn goes ahead of him, but that he still goes in the top 10. And Denver swoops in. Again, I don't even know the cornerback was necessarily their best need, but they certainly thought, I think, he was the best player available at that point. And so they swoop in and jam up Jerry Jones. And so now Jones doesn't get certain. He doesn't get what I think was probably going to be his backup plan, J.C. Horn. And so immediately it's get on the phone, get us out of this out of this pick, because you know we don't need what the teams that are you know right behind us what they need and that's the fun part about any sort of draft um where he hops back from 12 and so 12 is the eagles and they go well we're really looking for a wide receiver and the interesting thing in all of the trading up and trading back and all of that sort of thing and we'll you know talk a little bit more about it when it comes to the mac jones and, and where he ended up falling but you know listen mac jones ends up going 15 he could have gone 12 to San Francisco and none of this whole trade up, trade down, you know, tomfoolery um, would have ever happened. And that's the fun part is like, you know, if they hadn't done that, you know, I guess we would know whether or not he would fall to them at 12. But if they had drafted Mac Jones at number three, we would never know how far he was going to fall. So the cool thing about this draft is, you know, we always sort of talk about alternative universes and, you know, a hundred different ways this thing could go. And if one thing changes one thing and, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
But like we now know how far Mac Jones would fall. We are living in the existence of knowing where Mac Jones was going to fall and he fell to number 15. And so we know that if all of this stuff hadn't happened, he wasn't going to fall uh, or that he was going to fall. Meanwhile, like, you know, at Miami sitting there at six, you know, they now know, okay, we're going to get one of two wide receivers. And so they just sit, stay put and they grab Jalen Waddle. But what happens is we've got now three wide receivers. Two of them have been taken. And now it's a sweepstakes for who can get that wide receiver. And, you know, again, bad, you know, bad, uh, you know, secret keeping, if you will. The Giants rumored to like Devontae Smith. So again, in the different universe, maybe Denver doesn't uh, trade for Teddy Bridgewater. Maybe they take Mac Jones at number nine. Jerry gets his guy at 10. The uh, Giants can't resist and they take Devontae Smith. And then who knows who Philadelphia takes, you know, might be a defensive player or something along those lines. But the way it all sort of shakes down is now we get things in motion and we're trading and we're trading up and we're trading back and all of that sort of fun stuff happens because the Eagles look and they go, we know the Giants like Devontae Smith and it's going to cost us a third round pick and a later draft or whatever. And like, well, let's just hop over them, screw them over. We're going to get Devontae Smith. That's awesome. And then they do that. And so for the second straight pick, you know, the team gets scooped because they can't keep a secret. And so then they go, we need to get out of this. And so they get out of it and they do a great job, by the way, it might end up working out. And again, that's part of the fun part of this draft. As we look back on this years from now, we, you know, we're going to sit there and be like, oh, wow. Like, you know, Justin Fields worked out, didn't work out. You know, the Giants obviously did well. We already know that given the draft pick haul that they got. But the Bears hop up to grab Justin Fields and, you know, the uh, the Giants flee the scene and end up getting a wide receiver later on anyway. Of course, people arguing online about whether Kadarius Toney is good or not. I'm of the opinion that if you have a guy who's incredibly quick, incredibly shifty and incredibly fast, you can find ways to use that guy. Like, unless your offensive coordinator sucks, bad news is the Giants offensive coordinator is Jason Garrett. But, you know, if you have a decent one, you're going to be able to get this guy in space and it's going to work out well for you, right? So um, point is, is like two straight picks get scooped. Um, they have to trade back. I think both teams end up doing pretty well. Uh, when it comes to the Cowboys, right? Then we go to number 12 here. And this is the importance of draft positioning and, you know, making a bet here, right? Because you could say going into the draft, okay, Micah Parsons probably not going to go number 12 because we don't think that the Eagles, who were who were at the time sitting there at number 12, we don't, they've got, you know, obviously a ton more needs. We don't think that they're going to draft a linebacker, right? So then it looks like plus, you know, or 11 and a half from a draft position. Uh, doesn't seem all that different from 13 and a half from a draft position. Now I had said all week that I wanted 13 and a half, eventually got it yesterday. Um, but because, you know, again, I didn't really think 12 was going to be an option and 13 felt like a place where it was going to be the last, you know, possible option there. And the Chargers end up getting Slater falls directly into their lap. Great news for them for the billionth year in a row. Somebody falls to the Chargers right in their lap. And for the billionth year in a row, he's probably going to get injured um, because their staff there is absolutely atrocious. But the point is, I wanted 13 because you could trade up to the Chargers or the Chargers could have that defensive player fall to them and be okay with it. They just ha it just happens to be the offensive line, uh, the offensive lineman that falls to them instead. But again, the point is, is if you just said, okay, well, you know what, Parsons not going 12 anyway, um, I'll just grab the 11 and a half, I'll get plus 150, plus 160 in doing so, and it's probably not going to cost me, and if it does, like, that's fine, I'm just, you know, the difference is, instead of paying, you know, minus 130 for under 13 and a half, I'm going to get plus 160 for under 11 and a half, but again, that's the difference, right, the positioning makes all the world of difference, even if you don't think it's going to, right, even if you think, oh, there's no way he's going 12 to the Eagles, all it takes is one mini trade up, right? They just traded up two spots. Dallas moves back and then adds a linebacker that, again, I'm not even really sure they necessarily need. Obviously, they wanted a cornerback. That wasn't an option for them. So sort of next best thing from a defensive standpoint would be uh, the best player available from uh, from the Penn State Nittany Lions, Micah Parsons. So Chargers get Slater. Um, and then you get the kind of a weird trade up with the Jets. They trade up for an offensive lineman and not even just an offensive lineman, but a, you know, a guy who projects to be a guard there and Vera Tucker. Um, 
kind of strange like why you know they had to hop up um you know ahead of the patriots to do that like that didn't really make a ton of sense to me um the vikings trade down another good trade down right they end up getting a tackle in derisaw that was 14 and a half in the marketplace and you know they're sitting there at 14 if they had picked him would have made a ton of sense right would have hit just barely under 14 and a half they get him at 20 so a great move there by the vikings um kind of a strange move by the jets to hop up in front of new england to get vera tuck and vera tucker and then of course uh mac jones goes to the patriots and at this point we're just at peak like how fun is the nfl draft at this point um just you know of course the patriots get mac jones again i have no idea if mac jones can be a good quarterback at the nfl level it's a little bit concerning that he had what five offensive players go in the first round from alabama and when we talk about you know talked about a couple of days ago competition right you know we can't judge uh you know trey lance because of the competition that he played against well he played with competition that was about the same as the competition that he played against and mac jones didn't he played with five guys who are picked in the first round of the nfl draft like that is uh that is stacking your team uh in a really big way so we get through the first 15 and just having a ball at this point. And then the second half, as we talked about in the preview, becomes just more of a cluster F at that point, right? And we don't know sort of what order, who's going where, et cetera, et cetera. And so the first thing that we have here is the Raiders doing Raiders things. Like you can just always rely on the Raiders. And again, it's not that the player isn't good. It's that everybody pretty much agrees that that player could be had later. And if not you can probably get somebody else at that position. And it's sort of, again, a lack of hubris for the Raiders to say like that we're positive that this guy, who everybody else has a sort of like the fifth or sixth best offensive line, maybe even lower than that, is a guy that we need to grab here. And it's like they don't understand how trading down works, right? You just watched all of these teams do really well in trading back when their guy, again, because of their own kind of stupidity and un, you know inability to keep a secret, they all move back and they end up getting great value. And then the Raiders are just sitting there going like, yeah, we'll grab him. We'll grab, he played for Alabama or he played for Clemson. doesn't matter. Those are the only two teams that we have ever watched and that we would ever draft somebody for. And they just don't know how this whole thing works, right? It's so easy to trade down. And again, you'd say, well, nobody wanted to trade up really nobody was willing to trade up for anything like they couldn't have done the same thing that the cowboys did the cowboys had to have thought that their corner again whether it was horn or certain they had to think one of those two guys was going to be available and it probably took them one call or again even again whether they called or somebody else called probably took them two minutes to make a trade that got them a third round pick you can't tell me that the raiders couldn't have done that unless mike mayock doesn't know how to work a phone so they end up take going completely off the board because it's the friggin raiders when again the best at this point in the middle of the draft right to me you would want the best player at a position in the draft right and so in this case like who's the best defensive lineman available in the draft now there's an argument for you know who that necessarily is for me it would be pay um you know for others it was rousseau um and and phillips and so you know the two miami guys and so you go okay well you know you could pick one of those guys or you could pick the guy who's like the fifth best offensive lineman like why would you do that even if you didn't you know even if you didn't know how to work a phone and you didn't want to trade down so for me i had pay going to the raiders there that or having them have somebody trade up in order to grab him that didn't end up happening so that cost us a bet and of course the raiders had to find a way to screw that up uh linebacker stuff um really sort of a fun kind of crazy uh situation here right so of course parsons goes first he goes at 12 we took a flyer on zaven collins as much as we had parsons under we also had zaven collins 16 to 1 from last week to be the first linebacker taken he ends up going second of all the linebackers which again given the fact that he was fifth or sixth choice in the linebacker market that's a pretty good bet. Didn't end up winning, right? But he goes 16th to uh, Collins 12. So he ended up going, you know, just four behind him. And the price for Collins was 16 to one back then. It ended up dropping 12 to one, 10 to one. But at the time it was 16 to one. And that ends up becoming, you know, to me that's still way more valuable than minus 400, minus 500 for Parsons. Cause you know, again, who knows? Once the trading down and all of that stuff starts happening, 
how do we know for sure that the Cowboys don't like Collins instead of Parsons, right? Like Tulsa, Oklahoma, pretty close to Texas. They might have had more information or sort of more exposure than most teams to Collins versus Parsons, who, again, you know, as much as we sort of thought, okay, like talent's going to overrule this, they, you know, he's going to go in the top 13. Um, you know, again, no guarantee that a team like the Cowboys or a team that had to trade up or trade down wouldn't happen to necessarily like Collins. So he ends up going number 16. Um, so again, value from a, um, you know, future standpoint that didn't necessarily work out, but that's more than fine considering we cashed with Parsons. Would have been really annoying if Parsons had gone like 14 and Collins had gone 15 or 16. That would have been rough. So we end up cashing also on Collins under 26 and a half. So we end up winning two bets and losing kind of a long shot bet there. So no problem there. Um, interesting um, we get three linebackers that go in the top 19. So again, this concept of like linebacker, off-ball linebacker is sort of this dead, um, you know, position from a value standpoint. Obviously, it didn't look that way when they had three linebackers going in the top 19, all of which were essentially off-ball uh, linebackers. Jameen Davis, a really good pick, I think, for Washington. I think he's going to be a stud, um, in part because he's got that defensive line in front of him. Um surprising guys who didn't get drafted. I mean, Aziz Ojulari, we had him under and he hasn't yet to go in the first round. And so that sort of puts in jeopardy our over four and a half linebacker when you didn't have Aziz uh, Ojulari uh, and then you didn't have the kid from Notre Dame go either. But it comes down we have two bets, and again, I don't really know how I ended up doing this. We found ourselves in a spot where two picks were needed to win two separate bets, or if again, if one of those didn't go our way, we would have lost both of those bets, which is you know exactly the type of thing that I recommended you know trying to avoid, but here we are, and we didn't really intend for this to happen because again, late in the draft, we're talking about betting more about positions and following and being into the end of the first round to hope that you know our guys get picked from a positional standpoint versus a specific guy standpoint. And so then it gets into the debate about who qualifies as a defensive end versus a linebacker, as the last two draft picks are Owe and Tryon, who are defined sort of by a lot of people as edge players. Now, if you're you know, I say new to football or sort of relatively novice to football, we've hit a point in the sort of positional um, nomenclature, if you will, that you know it used to be linebackers or defensive linemen. Right. And then within the defensive lineman construct, it was defensive tackles on the inside, defensive ends on the outside. Then we get to three, four defenses where a linebacker is often on the edge in a three point stance, looking a lot like a defensive end. And there's sort of that hybrid element. And that sort of has now become the edge player. Right. You're seeing the word edge being used in these, you know, top 20s in these mock drafts describing different players. And a guy like Joe Tryon is defined as an edge player. Same thing, um, you know, with with Tryon. Tryon and Owe, excuse me. Um, and so they're both defined as edge players. Well, does that make them a defensive lineman? Does that make them a linebacker? And I saw for sure different markets that had both guys in the category of defensive linemen that were, you know, in those markets of who's going to be the first defensive lineman pick. And they were, you know, 40 to 1, 50 to 1, something along those lines. But they were on that list. So when I was writing out my list of guys, like I would have them in the defensive end category, right? In the defensive line category. And so they end up getting drafted. But in both cases, uh, Commissioner Goodell reads out that they're linebackers, which I think has to be sort of the tiebreaker in the debate on whether or not a guy went as a linebacker versus a defensive end. So you know, you're like, okay, that's great. So we end up winning the bet over four and a half linebackers get taken. We also <laughs> win the bet on under uh, four and a half defensive, uh, defensive linemen drafted because these guys are defined as linebackers. But where this is important to remember for next year, and again, how often do we say, well, let's remember it from next year, and then we don't actually remember it from next year. Um, but we need to know, we need to know specifically, we need to put all of the sort of defensive ends and the linebackers into kind of a pool and sort of understand these guys are all considered edge players. And we need to do a better job on our side and hope the sports books don't do a better job on their side on defining who's going to be what. Because as long as the commissioner is just announcing defensive line versus linebacker, there might be an edge here going forward again it's a full year from now so great but there might be an edge here betting over on linebacker 
if there's going to be a lean to consider edge players as outside linebackers. So I know that's sort of a lot to kind of take in there, but it ended up working out for us this year, but kind of by accident in a weird in a weird way, because again, we were expecting the kid from Notre Dame to go uh, in the first round, and I was certainly expecting Aziz Ojolari to go in the first round as well. Again, another guy, by the way, who is, you know, spends a lot of time on the edge um, uh, at that position at quote unquote linebacker. And so again, like is a guy 60% linebacker, 40% defensive lineman. Like there's this sort of like very gray area here where, you know, again, these sports books are, are, are categorizing, uh, they're categorizing these guys as defensive linemen. And then it gets announced that they're linebackers. And like, that's kind of a really big deal if you think about it. So kind of a crazy way to end the draft. Um, the one disappointment or sort of fundamental disappointment, Morig Wooten, the safety does not go again. I don't understand. Not something I would do. Do you want the fifth best cornerback in a, you know, in a given year, or do you want the best safety? And again, I know safety devalued from, you know, evaluation standpoint on the field, but you know, Green Bay, right? Like they are in this cluster F of are they going to trade Aaron Rodgers, et cetera, et cetera. The one, you know, the big rumor obviously that he might go to the Broncos and they draft Sertain as a cornerback. And so you'd think like, okay, though, you know, they might not draft a cornerback. They might draft literally anything else. Obviously, rumor or sort of people suggesting they should probably draft a wide receiver here. Like, let's try to appease Aaron Rodgers as much as we possibly can. Uh, and they don't, and they draft a corner. Literally the one position that like you kind of don't need if you're going to trade Rodgers. And if you're going to keep him, that's also kind of not the position that we were hoping for here, especially considering they're actually pretty decent at corner. And so if even, you know, again, whether you're the Packers or whether you're some other team, do you want Stokes, who is 38 and a half in the, you know, draft positional um, market? You know, he obviously goes way under. Uh, and so, again, a little bit of a reach from that standpoint. So do you want the fifth best corner? Or do you want the best safety? Apparently, you know, five corners are better than one really good safety, which, again, a little bit disappointing. So you see, right, key positions, cornerbacks going high, people reaching for cornerbacks. Those all pretty much went under their number, whether it was Newsom, um, you know, the one guy who didn't go under his number or did sort of depending on how you look at it was Farley. You know, he opened, you know, 14 and a half, but obviously the injury concerns and the back surgery and whatnot push him back to the late uh, middle to late round, uh, you know, from a market standpoint. But he still ends up beating his closing number. There's a nice little middle there. Also, if you were on top of this sort of thing, unfortunately, uh, wish I was. But, uh, you know, Micah Part or not Parsons, but Farley uh, fell through the cracks from that standpoint. Offensive linemen, you know, they fall down a little bit from a draft standpoint, but there's just, and that's a little bit more because there's a ton of them, right? You see a lot of guys, a lot of teams picking guys and going like, well, we can get an offensive lineman and a good one later on in this draft. That's just a really deep O-line draft. Quarterbacks, obviously, um, you know, it's funny, like the idea between trading up for a quarterback, which obviously happened a couple of different times here, versus having one fall to you. So like the Patriots, you know, people go like, oh, of course, Mac Jones fell to them at, at, you know, at 15 or whatever. But, you know, again, the only reason that he was even in that neighborhood, listen, his market was nine and a half, right? His market price was nine and a half. But because San Francisco was smoke screening everybody, it got moved up. It got moved up, moved up. Like it was the ultimate con job, right? And so, you know, at nine and a half falling to 14 or 15 isn't the craziest thing in the world. But again, because we get, you know, a month of everybody just screaming into, you know, the echo chamber and all of a sudden, okay, like now we think that they've got this third pick overall that has fallen to them. Well, you know what, if he was that good and if he was that sort of, um, you know, sought after, if you will, somebody would have traded up, right? Chicago would have traded up for him instead of Fields, who everybody sort of, you know, crapped on uh, towards the, you know, as we got closer to this draft, he ends up going ahead of Mac Jones. I imagine by the end of it, you could have actually gotten a pretty good price on fields to go ahead of Jones um, if there was such a market there. So um, again, the mood, right? Like if you're Chicago, you're like, okay, we traded up. Bad news is we don't have a first round pick next year. So we're kind of really hanging it all on Justin Fields. You know, the 49ers traded up, but they did so so long ago that you kind of forget that they gave up capital in order to grab Lance. And then of course the Patriots go, okay, we got this guy, but kind of nobody else wanted him. Bill Belichick's already saying like, 
Cam Newton's the, <laughs> the quarterback. And so, okay, is he redshirting for a year or for at least a few weeks? Who knows? So anyway, a lot going on when it comes to that. As for the rest of the draft here, you'll recall we've got Kyle Trask over 72 and a half. So that's going to be what? So first round is 64 picks. So we need to get to the ninth pick of the third round before he goes. That should be a fun sweat to see what happens there. Um, I imagine he goes at some point tonight, whether it's before or after 72 and a half. At this point, it's just a sweat as we're a good five plus units to the good uh, on this draft. So we can sort of afford to kind of play around um, with a little bit here. And then my deep uh, third day type guy, Alaric Jackson, um, way, way deep at what, 211 and a half, something along those lines. I don't even have that written down. So anyway, the point is we've got a couple of more things to at least keep an eye on, even if the next couple of days aren't all that exciting. Though, again, plenty of good players left. I don't know. Last year was really fun how sort of different guys, you know, running backs. By the way, I didn't even talk about the running backs going insane. Insane that it's 2021 and two running backs are going in the first round of the NFL draft. You know, and the Jags, like... You know, you think, okay, Urban Meyer, okay, that's a hire. I mean, maybe that ends up working out. Trevor Lawrence falls into their lap because the Jets are stupid enough to win a game last season. And they find, they find this guy, right, in James Robinson, who's an out, outstanding running back last year. They got him for nothing, right? Undrafted guy. Like, you don't have to spend any money on the position. And what do they do in the offseason? They go out and they grab Carlos Hyde. Okay, veteran minimum or close to it. Not that big of a deal. You have to have a running back. That's a pretty decent backup running back. And then they go and they waste a first-round pick. You know, a team that's defense was just getting carved last year. And they waste a first-round pick on a running back. Again, it's Travis Etienne. He's great, blah, blah, blah. That's brutal. I mean, that is so bad to tie up that money into a running back that at this point is kind of superfluous. And they talked to Meyer about it. And he's like, well, we've got, you know, Hyde and Robinson is the good one-two punch on first and second down. And then we can bring in Etienne on third down. And he's like, yeah, drafted a third, run, like a third down back with your first draft choice I and mean, not their you know first draft choice but with a first round draft choice like that's atrocious right like this this can't be that difficult there has to be a defensive player that you can add to a group that was quite terrible last season and again they don't uh, not surprisingly pittsburgh screws it up again i'm sure it was the three running backs from last season that all stunk and that's why they, they averaged a half yard um, per carry and so they go and they grab Najee Harris who's apparently just going to run through adult men the entire season I don't see that happening so again uh, high comedy when it comes to the NFL draft as always teams who know what they're doing San Francisco and a ton of teams who don't and a ton of teams who don't know what they're doing can't keep a secret and it works out for them anyway as they say in hockey let's do that hockey all right, lots to talk about with the draft there, but thank you very much, Lazlo. we got to get into the Let's Do That Hockey for the weekend here. Quick recap of last night. Not the most ideal night we've ever had in our lives. Uh, the best bet of the night, Calgary, right? They take care of Edmonton. Nobody thought, oh, Calgary is not going to go on the road against Edmonton and win. You know, we talked about the schedule spot in that game. That game opened plus 130, got bet all the way down to plus 100. So again, I understand if somebody's out there just working off of a spreadsheet and going like, you know what? Values on Edmonton here at minus 120, et cetera, et cetera. But again, terrible spot. And again, the spot doesn't guarantee you anything, right? All it just does is devalue one team and increase the value of the other team. And so in this case, Calgary's value gets increased. They end up 1.84 expected goals for to Edmonton's uh, 1.6 and 10.7 in high danger chances. So again, the difference being maybe if there's a full rest situation, it's you know, 10 to 7 for Edmonton. Maybe it's 1.8 to 1.6 for Edmonton. But in this case, right, all it takes is that little shift in, you know, metrics, which, you know, obviously creates a shift in win probability. And then all of a sudden, now you've got yourself a couple more chances to score here. And Calgary takes advantage of those. They score twice and they knock off Edmonton. Big time win for Calgary in the standings again as they look up and see Montreal and think that Montreal is very, very catchable. Um, 
the other games we got vancouver and toronto not surprisingly toronto absolutely dump trucks vancouver uh 2.95 to 1.23 the most lopsided game of the night uh again i don't know that vancouver is going to win a game the rest of the way here but they're going to be priced probably like they're not going to win a game the rest of the way here so again that doesn't necessarily mean we can't bet on them it's just going to be really really difficult to do so talked about you know a half unit at most uh in betting that game yesterday same thing with detroit and carolina half unit at most same deal 3.21 to 1.19 in favor of Carolina on the expected goals for at least Detroit had eight high danger chances to 11 for Carolina and they split 1-1 in converting those high danger chances Uh, but again Carolina scores early on Uh, Detroit you know listen there's a couple of chances for them to get on the board first they had a nice which should have been or could have been a goal, hit the crossbar early on that would have given them a one nothing lead. Maybe the game ends up being a little bit different, right? That's how in hockey, obviously, when you've got teams that can lock it down defensively, they can get a first goal. Um, you know, these games can change quite a quite a deal, quite a great deal. Uh, Dallas and Tampa Bay. Very, very close game from an expected goals for standpoint. 1.44 to 1.16. Again, classic Tampa Bay, keeping it under 1.5 on either side. 5-5 in the high danger chances. So again, low scoring. That's what Tampa does. In this case, Vasilevsky again shuts out the Stars. Stars must be seeing that guy in their absolute nightmares at this point. Um, as you know, basically not being able to score against Tampa Bay, I think is going to cost them a playoff spot here potentially um, as they try to make this sort of comeback uh, towards the end of the season and then florida and chicago and the metrics are you know not great for chicago never really are 2.2 to 1.3 7 to 5 in the high danger chances so pretty close there but again chicago gets two goals uh on those five high danger chances we you know force overtime late they get honest to god i think it may be the most consecutive scoring chances in a three-on-three overtime and i'm just talking about scoring i'm talking glorious scoring chances that i've ever seen in my entire life and it was literally like well that's got to be a goal well that's got to be a goal well okay that one for sure is a goal this time no this one is and they spent literally i think like a minute and a half straight in the offensive zone and couldn't score and of course you know what that means florida goes all the way down the other way and scores to win the game so um they'll get a rematch uh it'd be interesting to see where that kind of goes from a number standpoint but tonight wrote for the action network preview winnipeg and montreal here so again season long my model makes this minus 137 for uh, montreal but if you take since the coaching change with this at this point i think we've got enough of a sample size to kind of know the difference between montreal before the coaching change and after the coaching change and the coaching change has not worked out this team's considerably lower um you know barely what two and a half three percent above average at this point that being said we know what we're getting with winnipeg being seven percent below average at even strength um nicholas ehlers out um that's a guy obviously who you know when he gets his chances he converts at sort of a high rate which is kind of what the jets do in general and you've seen now that he's been out and now that connor hellebuck has been not otherworldly over the last week and a half or so that the jets are vulnerable they've lost five straight games all at home so for me here when you adjust for montreal not being nearly as good as sort of the full season picture um, gives them credit for i've got them now as minus 128 at home and Winnipeg doesn't really change because Winnipeg just sort of does what Winnipeg does. And I'm not even going to downgrade them because Hellebuck hasn't been very good in the last few weeks. I'm just going to sort of leave it where it is because that's kind of where it should be as we talked about the idea of their numbers sort of regressing slowly here back towards a more uh, sensible mean, if you will. And so at minus 128 here, we look at the price and it's minus 115 for Montreal. And that's a pretty big edge considering they're the favorite. And they're essentially being treated as a pick And what's interesting here is that, like, the games earlier on the season between these two teams, like, Montreal was a heavy favorite at home. They were a minus 115 favorite at Winnipeg. And people were, of course, like, what? How is How are they favorite at Winnipeg? Like, Winnipeg's higher in the standings, yada, yada, yada. And, like, that should be people's first clue that these numbers are based off of metrics that, you know, they may not understand necessarily. And so... Now we're back here and it's Montreal is minus 115. And maybe those people, unless we do the same thing, we just did it with Vancouver and Ottawa, but maybe those people are going like, yeah, now that's a more, you know, salient, normal price at a essentially a coin flip type of a price. That should be where it is. I would say no, like the metrics still are what the metrics are. And then for Winnipeg, the metrics are still bad. And so again, I have some value here on Montreal. 
at this point, I'm this close to just hating this Montreal team, and, and I would love them to not be in the playoffs because I don't want to have to talk myself in to them having value to knock off uh, Toronto in the first round. Like, I just, like, that's obviously what's going to happen, right? Like, they're going to face Toronto in the first round. The metrics are all going to say that Montreal has a chance, you know, 40, 45% chance, and it's going to be priced like they only have a 30% chance, and we're going to have to bet on Montreal, and Montreal's going to blow it, and it's just going to suck. And, like, that's going to be what happens. So at this point, I would much prefer if Montreal didn't even bother making the playoffs. But tonight, I think we think that they got a very good chance to win this game, certainly better than the market gives them credit for. Quickly through Saturday, because we don't necessarily have prices. Ottawa and Montreal, boom, Montreal right back at it. We've seen this before in this case. You know, again, we literally saw it, what was it, last weekend or the weekend before that, where they played Ottawa the very next day. In this case, it's a night game. It's not even an afternoon game. So a little bit better off for them. That being said, I don't see how you know, see how we're not going to be on Ottawa in that game on a strictly value-type play. Vancouver and Toronto rematch. That should be an absolute delight. Um, don't really want anything to do with that, but you know the value is going to be on Vancouver there from a um, you know money line metric standpoint. Calgary and Edmonton rematch what's going to be the adjustment on the point spread right because we saw the schedule adjustment kick this thing all the way down to calgary plus 100 edmonton minus 20 now when you get sort of a more even playing field type situation here if that still is the number i think we have to come back on edmonton at minus 120 because you don't have that schedule built in win probability change for the calgary flames so we'll see what happens there but looking towards edmonton unless we go back to plus 130 for calgary the way that the opening line was for you know this game that just happened last night uh central division all in action tampa bay and detroit you're not gonna like it Detroit, home underdogs. We're looking for a plus 200 or better at this point, and I think we're going to get it. I believe last time Tampa Bay was in Detroit, they were plus 300 as underdogs. So I can't imagine this going um, you know, much further below, uh, say like a 250. Uh, but Detroit's just going to have to be the play there, and that's not going to be all that fun. If that is the play, that's a play that you're going to have to decide. I think you're going to want to make that bet. If you're going to make it, you have to make it right away. Because the only thing that can kind of happen here is that Curtis McElhaney gets announced as the starter and the number drops. And so this is a decision that you kind of need to make like right away. Carolina and Columbus don't want to bet on Carolina Lane that much, but you're not going to get me to bet on Columbus at this point. So that's going to be a pass no matter what. I'll go back to the well, excuse me, with Chicago if we can get that same plus 140 to 150 uh, type price here. If this gets adjusted because this game went to overtime and now it's only, you know, floor, uh, excuse me, Chicago plus 120 or something like that, that'll have to be a pass. We're looking for kind of anything that the same essential price that we got for this game, which was around 140. And then Dallas and Nashville here. This is interesting because this is, you know, my numbers make this a dead even pick 'em game. So again, I don't care who it is. If one team is plus 110 at some point, I will bet on that team. It might be Dallas. I believe they're on the road. If they end up plus 110 because Nashville gets credit for being at home and, you know, they're minus 130, I'll take Dallas. If Everybody just loves Dallas and they're minus 130 and Nashville's home underdogs at plus 110. I'll take that. Most likely thing is it's probably going to be around minus 110 on either side and we're going to have to just pass on this game. No real edge for any other reason. Um, so again, it would just be a statistical edge to grab them. Uh, again, when I say them, I mean literally either team uh, at plus 110, which sort of gives you, I think, a decent look into sort of how hockey betting works, where it's like, if you give me a price, I'll take either side. And just so happens that often because of, you know, psychological, you know, psychology here, sportsbooks make the favorite, you know, a higher price. They know you want to bet on the better team, so they will jack up the favorite relative to the win probability. And when you take the underdog and you lose, you will sort of feel like a dumbass. But over the course of a long period of time, you are getting most of, the, more often than not, you are getting the value in that situation. Lastly, Kentucky Derby. Um, kind of, you know, kicked around the idea of having a full segment, having a guest, talking about the Derby there. But the problem is when you have a expert, if you will, one, we're talking about horses. So as you know, any expert for one race, you know, they're probably not going to be right. Right. So the value in sort of having that and, and doing that is 
you know, not that high. And everybody has their own opinion, so it's like, it's not like there's a sharp side when it comes to betting on horses here or anything along those lines. And so it's a really fun event. And so this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna hand out whatever I end up betting. It's probably gonna be end up, some, you know, be some, you know, trifecta box type situation here, completely like couple of dollar type situation um, that, you know, hopefully we hit some miracle, whatever. But if you're looking to bet like the Kentucky Oaks and like all the undercard, if you will, on the bet, like that turns into like an hour long plus podcast. And so we've got the NFL draft. I think it's a little bit more interesting just given, you know, you and I are probably a lot more interested in the NFL than we are horse racing. I think it's a lot more interesting to just sort of talk about the betting implications from yesterday's events for as long as we did, you know, 40, 45 minutes. Uh, and then obviously do 10 minutes on hockey. And then, you know, what are we going to do? Another like half hour, 40 minutes on horse racing. And we're going to get deep into like the fourth race at Churchill Downs tomorrow. I just don't think that that's really all that, uh, you know, valuable. And there's plenty of other options out there. And again, I have no problem with people listening to other podcasts, especially when it comes to, um, you know, really specific stuff uh, like the Triple Crown. So, um, you know, maybe we do something different if things are a little bit lower key. But, you know, we're going to look to the Preakness. We're going to look to the Belmont. And we're going to be right in the middle of NHL and NBA playoffs. So, yeah, just kind of not worth it. Maybe, again, if the NFL draft wasn't the same weekend, we might be able, you know, might talk myself into having that. But just the way that the schedule worked out just wasn't there. Um, so at MRUS Authentic, I'll give out whatever I've got. I know nothing about this stuff. I know how to bet on uh, horses. I like going to the racetrack back when you could do such things. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to be able to tell you anything um, special necessarily. So if you want to ride with it, that'll be available on Twitter uh, tomorrow. Uh, at some point on Saturday afternoon. Back on Monday for the usual weekend recap. Hopefully we'll have a trifecta to celebrate or something like that. That would be outstanding. As always, subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed last night. That was awesome. Until Monday, I'll see you at the window.